shows us that nations rise and nations eventually fall. Is the U.S. a nation in decline? Historians have outlined stages of the civilization's decline, and Paul, in Romans chapter 1, also presents the stages of a nation's decline. What historians and the Apostle Paul point out are very disturbing when we look at the direction of our nation. Historians often attribute the collapse of a nation to economic, political, or social factors, but ultimately, the problem is spiritual. Is there hope for renewal in our nation? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Join Pat as he presents part two of his message entitled, Hope for a Nation in Decline. Learn the stages of a nation's decline, but also the hope for renewal. Here's Pat with part two of this important message. In February 2011, the New York Times reported that British Prime Minister David Cameron, shortly after being elected, stated in a speech that he gave, which he said was one of the most important for the nation, he stated that the decades-old British policy of multiculturalism, the belief that all cultures, values, and lifestyles are valid and true and should be tolerated, has failed miserably and now England and other European nations have become one of the largest breeding grounds for radical Islam. He stated that the policy had allowed Islamic militants leeway to radicalize young Muslims some of whom went on to the next level by becoming terrorists and that Europe could not defeat terrorism simply by the actions we take outside our borders with military actions like war in Afghanistan. He stated, Europe needs to wake up to what is happening in our own countries. He said, we have to get to the root of the problem. Chancellor Angela Merkel of Germany and French President Nicolas Sarkozy quickly echoed the words of Cameron in their nation as well. Left with an empty system of belief that tolerates anything, we will be destroyed by those who have a belief system that will not tolerate us. See, when you have a belief system that does not stand for anything, like relativism, you'll fall for anything. Unfortunately, many of these false ideas have been embraced by the church as well. Therefore, every Christian, every church, must be able to proclaim truth, but in our post-Christian age, it's not enough just to proclaim it one must be able to defend it in a culture that has rejected God and has embraced a host of false and dangerous ideas. So the rejection of God leads to the embracing of false and dangerous ideas, which inevitably leads to the rise in immoral behavior, where sinful behavior is promoted as normal. Verses 24 through 27, Paul writes, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of 
their error. The rejection of God leads to embracing of false ideas and then the increase in immorality, lifestyles which are destructive to any society. Verse 24 states that God gave them over to their passions. The term gave over is used in the Old Testament when God hands over Israel to her enemies so that they may be defeated by them. So in this way, God permits disobedient man to continue and indeed to plunge more deeply into the sin they have chosen. And the picture is like this. We're being swept downstream by a powerful current and God is there holding our hand. But we're saying, let go, let go. We want to do our own thing. And God says, all right. And he lets go. And he lets you get swept down by the current that you are choosing to go. Verse 25 states that God gives them over because they embrace the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And in verse 25, Paul gives us the meaning of what idolatry is all about. Putting some aspect of God's creation, an animal, a human, a material object in the place of God. That is the essence of idolatry. And in verse 26, the immoral behavior of homosexuality is highlighted here. Paul says, women exchanged natural relations, describing a reversal of the proper sexual practice. What is natural? Men with women. That is how God has designed us. Homosexuality here is labeled at the beginning of this clause as sinful passions. The perversion of sex is connected with the rejection of God and the embracing of false ideas. And Paul says, women exchanged natural relations and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and when consumed with passion for one another. I remember speaking at the University of North Texas and the University of North Texas is probably the third best music college in the country. And I didn't know at the time, me and my partner didn't know, we were speaking in the music dorm. We didn't know that. The music dorm is filled with those embracing the gay lifestyle. And we were in what's called the lion's den, where we present a case for Christianity, and then the next 40 minutes, you can fire away and ask any question you want. And the first question was, is homosexuality a sin? Of course, not knowing where I was, I looked, I said, oh, sure, yeah, the Bible makes it pretty clear. That place erupted. They were ready to stone and kill us. And they said, where do you find it anywhere in the Bible that it is sin? Where? And I said, well, Romans chapter 1. And I read them this passage. And they said, that's homosexual rape, not two consenting adults. That's what it's all about. And I said, well, let me see here. It says, natural relations, verse 27, men with women, unnatural men with men or women with women. So natural men with women. Unnatural men with men, women with women. Okay, verse 27. Gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. So I said natural men with women, unnatural men with men. I said, I don't know how much clearer it can be. And he said, that's just your opinion. And I said, well, I said, no, I'm simply repeating what Paul is saying here in the text. Natural men with women, and unnatural then would be men with men. And he said, no, no, that's just your opinion. 
And I said, oh, well, then what is Paul saying here? I said, I'm simply repeating what Paul is saying in the text. And he said, that's not Paul speaking. I don't hear Paul. Is that the Apostle Paul? I hear the voice of Pat Zucharan. That's not Paul. And I said, well, I'm simply repeating what the Apostle Paul says in the text. And they go, I don't hear Paul. No, no, I don't hear the Apostle Paul. It's the voice of someone else. And I want to say, well, how do you know what Paul sounds like? But anyway, I said, no, I'm simply repeating what's in the text here. And we were going back and forth. And I said, all right, tell me how you explain it. And, you know, and he said, well, you know, it's homosexual rape. And I said, show me in the text. Natural, it's saying natural, men with women. Unnatural, men with men. You can't get around it. Now, when a society rejects God, they embrace false ideas, which leads to immoral behavior. And that shows you it's a nation in trouble, a nation in decline, when they're embracing immoral behavior as normal and forcing people to say it should be accepted. A recent cartoon in the Chicago Tribune illustrates the wayward path of our society here. Here, Tim Tebow, a professional football player known for his outspoken faith in Christ, declares, I'm a Christian. And the response of the reporter is, keep it to yourself. However, in the next frame, when a relatively unknown NBA player, Jason Collins, comes out and declares, I'm gay, he's met by a fanfare of excited reporters declaring him a hero, eagerly seeking his story and his testimony. And today, the Supreme Court declared that the Federal Defense of Marriage Act, or DOMA, which defines marriage as between a man and woman, is unconstitutional striking down a provision that denied benefits to legally married gay couples. This move gives same-sex couples equal rights in many areas as heterosexual couples and further opens the door to legalize marriage throughout the United States. And we know that the gay lifestyle is a dangerous lifestyle. Numerous, numerous studies have revealed the dangers of the gay lifestyle. Medical journals tell us the act of sodomy is tremendously destructive to the human body so that the average lifespan of the gay male is only into his late 40s and the lesbian female in her early 50s. It's tremendously damaging to the human body. The human body wasn't designed for that kind of sexual activity. Medical journals tell us studies such as the one by Bell and Weinberg study, the Kirk and Madsen study, revealed that promiscuity is rampant in the gay community. The average gay man and woman has numerous partners in their lifetime. Therefore, the punishment to the body, the promiscuity, results in a high rate of STDs in the gay community. And who pays for the medical costs? All of us do. The entire nation pays. Studies have shown there is sociological, there is economic, there are moral consequences of a sinful lifestyle. So for this reason, God forbids this. But a nation that has turned away from God seeks to legalize sinful behavior and criminalizes those who will now stand against it. And when a culture can no longer identify sinful and dangerous behavior, it is a culture that is digging its own grave. In a culture sliding into the pit of immorality. Christian men and women now more than ever must stand for purity and a holy lifestyle honoring to God. Even now if our voice shall become a small minority, we must stand for the sanctity of all human life, 
for the biblical definition of marriage and holy living. We can no longer be afraid to declare the consequences if we choose otherwise to our nation. Os Guinness said it best, he said, our duty is like that of the prophet Samuel. When Israel said, we want a king, we want to be like all the other nations. Samuel said, all right, if that's what you want, here are the consequences of what you will get. We're going to have to play the same role as the prophet did. Warning our nation, if this is the way you choose, these are the consequences that will occur. Finally, in verses 28 through 32, God allows the nation or society to self-destruct. says here, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Verse 28 states that God gives them over to a debased or worthless mind. So this doesn't mean unbelievers cannot discern things that are true. What it states that is that since people have refused to acknowledge God, they end up with minds unable to understand and now accept the will of God. And the result is they do things which are not proper and self-destructive. People who have turned away from God are fundamentally unable to think and decide correctly about God and His will. People who have rejected God are unable to comprehend, let alone practice biblical ethical principles and holy living. The debased mind, unable to know God and do the will of God, leads to sins against one another, which Paul lists in those last three verses. Now, in his history book, When Nations Die, by Jim Nelson Black, he studied 3,000 years of history of the rise and fall of nations, and he lists three aspects of decay, social decay, cultural decay, and moral decay. And three important trends demonstrate the first one, social decay. They are the crisis of lawlessness. When the crime rate soars in a civilization. We don't have that problem here, do we? You know, we're the number one nation in crime. The loss of economic discipline. In other words, uncontrolled spending leads a nation into tremendous financial debt. We don't have that problem, do we? And a rising, growing bureaucracy, a growing government that requires increased taxes to keep its programs going. Four important trends demonstrate cultural decay. They are the decline of education. You know, the United States ranks almost 40th in the world as far in math and science and in other areas. The weakening of cultural foundations, the loss of respect for tradition, and the increase in materialism, people going into debt, buying stuff. Three important trends demonstrate moral decay. They are the rise in immoral behavior, the decay of religious belief, and the devaluing of 
human life. Well, do we see these signs in our nation today? Well, in the face of such an ominous, foreboding future, what can we do? Shall we just throw up our hands in despair and say, ah, oh, it's going to pot, and just retreat behind the comfort of our walls and our fellowship? Well, the ultimate essence of our problem is not political. It's not economic or social, but spiritual. The political, economic, and social problems we encounter are the symptoms of the spiritual deterioration of a nation. And just as there are spiritual principles that influence the life of an individual, so there are political, spiritual principles that govern the life of the nation. Since the problem is ultimately spiritual, it is spiritual revival that leads to positive reformation of a nation and prevent it from imminent collapse. When I asked Oz Guinness, we were interviewing him on his book, A Free People's Suicide, book that he just wrote, wonderful book. And I said, what is the answer to the situation we face? And he said the same thing. He said, spiritual revival. America has had two spiritual awakenings, the Great Awakenings. And will we have another one? Perhaps we may. In a recent open letter to America, Billy Graham expressed his concern to the deteriorating state of our nation. He states, Some years ago, my wife Ruth was reading the draft of a book I was writing. When she finished a section describing the terrible downward spiral of our nation's moral standards and the idolatry of worshiping false gods such as technology and sex, she startled me by exclaiming, if God doesn't punish America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I wonder what Ruth would think of America if she were alive today. In the years since she made that remark, millions of babies have been aborted, and our nation seems largely unconcerned. Self-centered indulgence, pride, and a lack of shame over sin are now emblems of the American lifestyle. My heart aches for America and its deceived people. The wonderful news is that our Lord is a God of mercy and He responds to repentance. In Jonah's day, Nineveh was the lone world superpower, wealthy, unconcerned, and self-centered. When the prophet Jonah finally traveled to Nineveh and proclaimed God's warning, people heard and repented. I believe the same thing can happen once again, this time in our nation. What our nation ultimately needs is not a political or economic solution, but ultimately a spiritual one. We need a spiritual revival, an awakening, a repentance of sin, and a return to the Lord. Well, how is it going to happen? Well, of course, it's all going to happen in God's timing. We cannot manipulate it or make it happen. But we do have a part to play. First, it begins with the individual believer in Christ committing their whole life to follow Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need, once again, to heed the call of discipleship where Jesus said, If any man wish to follow me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. He who loves his life in this lifetime shall lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, he's the one who shall find it. We need a generation of Christians following Christ with all their heart. And God can use many or just a few to accomplish tremendous things.
Look at the prophet Daniel. Daniel and his three friends, just boys, taken from their nation that had fallen to Babylon. And in the midst of a foreign nation, as a result of their testimony and commitment to God, the king of Babylon and the nation of Babylon came to know about the true and living God of Israel. Second, so it occurs on the individual level. Second, it occurs at the family level. Parents, grandparents, must not surrender education to the schools, public or private. In the Bible, parents were responsible for the education of their children, especially okay, in bringing them to the knowledge of the Lord. Parents, grandparents must stay involved and be able to explain truth from error to their children. Must be able to show their children why their faith in Christ and biblical teachings are true despite the things they may learn in their education system. And there is hope for our nation. My former boss at Pro Ministries, Kirby Anderson, pointed out that in just a few years, there is going to be a huge swing, or potentially a huge swing, in the religious landscape of our nation. Why? Because those who adhere to abortion rights, gay marriage, and cohabitation are not having children. Who are the ones having children? Those who believe in the traditional family, the sanctity of life, faith in God, and it is those who are raising a new generation that if the parents will pass their faith on to this new generation, which will come of voting age very soon, we could potentially have a massive transformation in not only the political but the religious landscape of our nation. It depends on can the parents pass their faith on to that next generation. Therefore, it's imperative. Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, teach, defend, and model their faith so it is passed on to this upcoming generation. Third, it happens at the church level. As Christians, we must get our own house in order. Statistics show that a majority of Americans claim faith in God and in Jesus Christ. Yet, a small minority group, like the atheists, the gay community, can exert a much greater and more powerful influence on the culture than the church. Something is not right here. Our churches must return to solid biblical teaching. Christians must once again commit to the call of being a disciple of Christ and heed the call to Christian discipleship, the laying down of our lives and carrying the cross of Jesus Christ. We cannot have a Christianity that says, what's in it for me? But a Christianity says, it's all about Him. So only then can we expect the world to notice our testimony and our faith and the reality of our belief in Jesus Christ will not and cannot be ignored. Well, God has promised in 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. One thing we all know, the light of a lantern shines the brightest when it is the darkest. 
And if the church continues to proclaim, to defend, and to live out the truth of God's word, the brightness of her light will be difficult, if not impossible, for the world to ignore. God is in control, and one day he shall return. But until then, let us remain firm in our faith, unshakable in the truth we know, and faithful to the call and mission he has upon our lives. For the sake of our families, our children, and our nation, let us continue to hold fast and proclaim and to live out the truth of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we are concerned about things we have seen in recent days. We pray for our leaders that you would prick their hearts and minds that there is indeed a God who has a moral law that we shall all give account for someday. And I pray also for the church that we would heed the call to discipleship, to lay down our lives for the sake of the cross of Jesus Christ, to live out a testimony the world cannot deny. And may the churches who proclaim the name of Jesus Christ have a just a powerful, undeniable testimony of the reality of knowing you and through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you were challenged and inspired by Pat's message today. If you missed any part of this study, log on at evidenceandanswers.org to hear it in its entirety. And while you're there, we invite you to read related articles by Pat and other great Christian scholars. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's ministry, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org so that we may continue to present fine biblical teaching in defense of the Christian faith. Join us again each week as Pat and his friends present reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Oh, 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 oh,